Amen. Amen. Hey, good to see you today. Faith, listen to this thought, faith must have a touch point to become a reality in your life. There has to be some way that you identify with something in the natural realm in order to connect with the supernatural realm. When you have a touch point of faith, what it does is it triggers something in your mind and in your spirit that connects you with God. For example, our prayer wall out there is a touch point of faith. When you put a prayer request in there, what you're doing is you're identifying with something on earth and you're asking that which is in heaven to become a reality in your sphere, your natural sphere of life. So let me tell you a story. There's a guy, he is unable to walk. He was born without the ability to walk at all. And every day, somebody would pick him up. We don't know who it was. They would pick him up, and they would lay him at a gate there in Jerusalem. And Jerusalem is a, is a city of walls with gates in it. And one of the gates there is called the Gate Beautiful. And it was called beautiful because of its, the work in it, the gold, the silver inlay. It was a huge gate. It was actually the biggest gate. It was 75 feet high. Now imagine that gate. That's a seven-story building. It weighed so much, it took 20 men to open it and close it. And that gate was significant because it was, the, it was the final point of which you could go before you would enter into the temple, into the holy place of God. And they took this man that was, was lame, and they brought him, and they laid him there at the beautiful gate. They laid him at the beautiful gate because in his mind, this is the most strategic place to receive an offering. Because people are going to be going in to worship God, and before they worship God, I want to capture their heart. I want them to think about how good they have it and how bad I have it. And he was pretty smart. And all of his life, he begged for pennies. And I want to say this to you today. You can be at the beautiful gate, and you can beg for pennies because you don't realize what you really need is legs. You see, all of us are born lame. All of us are crippled. All of us are broken. All of us have something missing in our life. And most of the times we hide it. You see, the ones who walk by, they probably thought they had it good. But it could have been that they didn't have it any better than the man that was laid at the beautiful gate. They just compensated because they had legs, because they had health, because they had wealth, because they had friends, because they had whatever. And I want you to know that today, every one of you have a lame part of you that God wants to heal and God wants to restore. Amen? I don't know what it is. You know what it is. Right now, deep in your heart, you're saying, I wish I had friends. I wish I had health. I wish I had a job. I wish I had, I wish I had, I wish I had. And you do that, and you'll spend your life wishing away life when Jesus wants to show up and give you that which you need most. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we want to pray in the name of Jesus that you will provide for us today a way out of the difficulties that we find ourselves in.
Whether that's financial, whether that's relational, whatever it is, God, I want you to provide an outlet, a way out, a way of escape, a way of healing, a way of ministry that only you can provide in Jesus' name. Amen and amen. Well, last week, at the end of the service, I asked you to go to the prayer wall and take the time to write something out and put it in the wall. And what was amazing about what happened last week was what preceded last week. Tammy had come up here to pray with someone, and and her and Ashton were praying with someone, and and all of a sudden a guy walked in. And he said, "I, I heard about the prayer wall on social media on Facebook. They've never been to church here. He just heard about the prayer wall movement that's taking place. And it is a movement. When you get 18 to 20,000 prayer requests in a wall in two years, that's a movement. When you see miracles at the wall, that's a movement. Now, you may not be a part of the movement, but the movement is going to go on with you or without you. And what I always say is if God is moving, I want to be a part of that movement. Amen? So he walked in, and they were praying, and all of a sudden he said, I've come here from Whittier, and I heard about the prayer wall movement. Can you pray with me? And they said, of course, and he put his hands on the wall, and he began to pray. And all of a sudden, the Spirit of God got a hold of this guy, and he fell to his knees weeping, praying at the wall. Now, remember That doesn't happen in churches very often where somebody walks in, comes to the wall, and begins to pray. And the the number of people that come through the front doors, just walk in, are probably about 20 to 1 over phone calls. Because they just accidentally come in. They're drawn in by the Spirit of God. So Tammy's retelling that story to one of our, one of our uh, attenders here, Ray, and as she was telling Ray about it, he said the same thing happened on Sunday when you told people to go out to the prayer wall. I was praying. There was a man sitting there on the wall. He fell to his knees weeping, and we saw exactly the same thing. You see, the Holy Spirit of God, when he gets a hold of you, he gets a hold of you. You need a touch point of faith. I want to encourage you when you leave today, go out to the prayer wall. I guarantee you, you have something you need to pray for. You have someone you need to pray for. There's something transformational that needs to happen in your life and someone else's life, and it'll happen by prayer. So faith needs a point of contact. What is your point of contact for faith? How do you identify your faith? It can be that prayer wall. It can be a war room you have at home. What is your touch point of faith? But secondly, I want you to see this, that the language of faith can be learned. You see, there is a language that that goes along with faith. You don't just say, yes, thank you, Lord, amen. There's a dimension you begin to move into when you begin to learn the language of faith. You begin, you move from I know God can to I know God will. That's a language of faith. See, it's not just saying, yeah, God is all powerful. We all know that. Everybody knows that. Everybody believes that. Don't even need to re-say it. Is God, the all-powerful God, doing what you're asking him to do? That's the language of faith. The language of faith says God will do that. God will do that. You see, faith, now watch this, faith rises to new levels of mystery, power, and authority with your language. Let me say it again. Faith rises to new levels, new levels of mystery, 
power and authority with your language. When you speak, you're going to see your faith go up, but you have to speak your faith. You can't think your faith. You have to speak your faith. See, I'm of the conviction that the only prayer that is legitimately prayer is prayer that is spoken. That what you think is prayer is really meditation. When you meditate, you roll over in your mind and in your spirit the things of God. But when you speak, you actually are using that creative ability and that power of God to project out and to begin to change the environment that you live in. So I want to take you on this journey of the man that was found at the beautiful gate, and I want you to, I want you to change your, your, your expectation, your level of expectation that you have of God right now. I want you to change it. I want you to move here, not taking a baby step, but taking a giant step. I want you to begin to say, I don't want to take just move a little bit in faith. I want to take a leap into faith. I want, to, I want to be like Peter who was in the boat, and he said, you know what? Jesus, if you bid me to come, I'll come. That was the language of faith. See, the language of doubt stayed in the boat. Why would I risk getting wet? Why would I risk failure? Why would I risk sinking? See, that's the language of doubt. Language of faith said, I'm getting out of the boat. I'm walking to Jesus. Sink or swim, do or die, I will trust in the Lord. When you make that kind of a bold proclamation, you're living and you're moving in the dimension of faith that God has for you. Because that's when you begin to see the overflow of what God is going to do in your life. Let's look at our scripture. It begins with these words. Now, Peter and John went up together to the temple at the hour of prayer, the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful. This one gate. It was said that they were going to cover it with gold, but the bronze and the silver, for some reason, they called it a miracle. All the rabbis in that first century called it a miracle. They said for some reason it looked gold. It was the way the sun hit it. It had a beautiful dimension to it. And they called it the beautiful gate. He said he was laid there to ask alms from the people who entered the temple, who seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked for alms. And notice what it says, and fixing their eyes on him. You see, they had an object of faith. They had, God was their object, but they had a touch point. It was going to be that man. They fixed their eyes on him. They knew that this was going to happen. Something was going to transformationally happen to this guy right here at the gate. Look what it says. And it says, fixing his, their eyes on him, John and Peter said, look at us. Now, why did they ask the man to look? Because he needed a touch point of faith as well. You have to be able to see in the spiritual dimension, you have to be able and be willing to see into the unseen. That's what faith is. Faith is evidence of things not seen, right? It's the substance of things not seen. I have to be able to see it before I receive it. See, most people say, well, when I see it, I'll give God thanks for it and I'll believe it. Because we've been so conditioned by the enlightenment that came out of England, the idea was that reason, it's, it's got to be reasonable. Let me tell you something. There is nothing reasonable about faith. It doesn't make any reasonable sense. It moves in a dimension far beyond reason. And you have to be willing to say, you know, I don't, it doesn't make sense to me, but I'm going there. 
I'm going to the land of faith, and I'm going to go there without a reasonability about it. Because people say, what are the percentage of, uh, what's the likelihood of someone to be healed of that particular thing? God doesn't deal in likelihoods. He doesn't deal in percentages. He doesn't care about the odds. When was the last time God cared about the odds? Have you ever made a, one of those lists? Have, haven't we all made this list? Well, you know, I'm going to do the positives and the negatives, and I'm going to make a decision based on that. That's reason. That has nothing to do with revelation. That's trusting in your ability. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge him, and here's the promise, and he will direct your path. So what I do is I take that scripture from Proverbs 3, 5, I throw it out, and I make my list. And then I make a decision based on reason. What if God wants to lead you down a road of revelation and you get stuck on reason and you never get to see the hand of God in your life? But you live a comfortable life and everything is safe and everybody calls you wise, but you don't move any mountains in a lifetime. Would that make you happy? See, God wants to move you into a sphere where you're going to be able to move mountains, you're going to be able to see miracles, you're going to be able to see things happen that don't make sense. And it says here, so he gave him his attention. See here, the contact point? First, Peter and John looked at him, and they said, look at us. He could have said no, because you see, probably this beggar, like many people who beg for money, they, they put their head down in shame. If you live in shame, you can't see God's hand. You'll never see the hand of God if you live in shame. That's why when Jesus came to take away your sin, he took away your guilt and your shame. You see, you have nothing to be ashamed about. You say, but I'm, I've done some things wrong. Well, join the human race. Well, mine's worse than somebody else's. No, it's not. You don't know what all they're thinking. See, we tend to evaluate people based on reason. Well, I'm a pretty good person. I'm a, a, a great person. I'm a super good person. You know, we've got all these categories of people. God never has that. He says, you either love me or you don't. But he said, but here's the thing. Every time you confess your sins to me, guess what I do? They're cleansed, totally cleansed. God is always cleansing. God is always restoring. He's always taking away shame. He's always taking away guilt. Guilt doesn't come from God. Guilt comes from the devil, your neighbor, or your best friend. Right? And guilt is a gift that keeps on giving. You ever notice that? If I feel guilty, then I'm not leaving here until you feel guilty too. Right? Okay, so let's watch what happens here in the Scripture. He says he gave him his attention, but look what he was expecting, expecting to receive something from them. In other words, he was looking for a handout. He expected it. But what he expected, God says, I want you to up the level of your expectation. What do you expect God to do in your life? Would you just take and double that? Would you put a couple extra zeros behind that? Would you take and put it to another level and see what God can do? You see, this man asked for pennies because he didn't know he could have legs. Are you going to be content for pennies when God wants to give you legs? That's the question we want to ask. So you have to up your level of expectation. Just take it wherever it is and say, God, I'm going up by faith. You have to allow your expectation to increase over time. So wherever your level of expectation is now, you're going to raise it today, and you're going to say, God, but it's not going to stop there. It's going to keep going higher and higher and higher and higher and higher. I am not going to stop where I am. I'm going to keep moving in another realm. Now look what it says, Proverbs chapter 14, verse 4 and 18. It says, but the path of the righteous is like the light of dawn. Okay, now watch this. If you know Christ, you're righteous. 
Not because you always do what's right, but because he's given you his righteousness, he's made you holy. Got it? It's not because of your personal acts, it's because he's given you his spirit. Now watch this. So your path is like light. But look what else it says. It says it's like the light of dawn. Okay, you ever been up early and the sun comes up? You go, wow, look at that. But it's not all up, is it? It's getting going to get brighter. It's going to get brighter and brighter. It says, and that shines brighter and brighter until the full day. You know what that means? That means what God is doing in you now, he's going to increase. God wants to see you increase in everything you do. So faith is realized expectation. That's what faith is. Faith is realized. I realize this is, this is everything I've expected God is doing in my life. Now, I know there's always a skeptic and says, you know, that's great for you, and I'm glad it's working for you, but I've asked God for a bunch of stuff, and, and I haven't got anything, right? Or I tried that once, and it didn't work. I wish I had a dollar for every time somebody said that to me. I tried that, and it didn't work. Well, you see, faith is not something you try. It's something you do. It's a lifestyle. It's how you operate in your world. I operate by faith. I can feel myself being pulled into sight world. Fear is the first thing that comes in my mind. Doubt comes in my mind. Lack of of anything, lack just comes into my life, and I think, God, I know what that is, and I don't like it, and God, it's pulling me like a magnet. You're pulling me into into this vortex of doubt and fear and despair, God, and I've got to break out of that, and you see the enemy's pulling me in there, and God just says, would you just stop it? Proclaim faith, but God, I don't feel like it, and God says, it's not about feelings. It's about faith. It's about walking in a dimension that's different. So you have to make a faith declaration, a faith declaration. Look what happens in Acts chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. And then Peter looked and said, silver and gold I do not have. If you were thinking you're going to get money out of me, you're not. It sounds like bad news to the guy who's begging, right? There's some things you're begging for right now that God's not going to give you because it's not what you need. Because if he gives you that, you're settling for less than what he has for you. And if he gives you that, then you'll be satisfied with that, and you'll never go into the dimension where God wants you to go. You'll never be the person that God wants you to be because you, satis- you are satisfied with less. So watch what happens. Silver and gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. You know, what I, you know what I love about this passage? What he did have, what did he have? He had the power and the authority from God. That's what he had. Now watch this. Guess what you have? You have the power and the authority from God. All power and all authority is given unto me, and so send I you with all power and all authority. What would happen the next time you stop by a guy, he's, he's begging on the corner, he may be legit, he may not be, and you say to him, you know, I don't have any silver or gold, but what I do have is I have the ability to rebuke the poverty spirit out of you. I watched a video, I, I don't know who did it, it was just so good on Facebook, and it was a guy who walked by, and they were, somebody else was videoing it, and there's a little lady, it looked like she was from India, and she was selling uh, fruit on, there by the side of the road. 
And he went up to her, and he, and he, he wanted to buy some fruit, and he, she said, I'm all out. And he began to talk to her, and he said, what do you do? He said, she said, every day I come here, and I sell the fruit I have, and then I go home. He said, how old are you? He said, I'm 100 years old. She's 100 years old. She's working every day. Every day. She's not begging for anything. And he reaches in and he gives her a very large amount of money. She's so grateful, she takes and pulls his hands in and kisses both of his hands. And then he began to say, you have taught me so much. You have so much to say to us. She kept calling him a child. He was probably 30. But I guess if you're 100, you know, that looks pretty good. But see what, you know what was happening? She didn't have a poverty spirit. She was poor but didn't have a poverty spirit. She didn't have a victim mentality. She wasn't a beggar. And I think what we're doing is we're doing a disservice, and we feel better about it when a guy's begging and we give him a dollar instead of giving him what we do have, power and authority from on high, and say, let me tell you what you need more than you need a dollar from me. You need to have a broken, you need to be broken of this poverty spirit that sees yourself, whether this is legitimate or not. You need to be broken from that spirit of bondage that the enemy brought upon you to convince you that you can't work and you should beg and you don't have any money and you'll never have any money. And in the name of Jesus, I just want to give you a word from on high that spirit of poverty be broken. And I would say today, there is a spirit of poverty on some of you because you're always living out your life thinking about what you don't have. That's a poverty spirit. You have to begin to say, God, you have blessed me. You already said that you will take care of the birds of the air. You, you cover all the fields with your glorious flowers. You take care of everything, God. You will take care of me. That's your promise. I take you at his word, and I will not back up from that. In fact, God, I want to see you take me to a new level of understanding and receiving from on high because you are my God, and I am your child. And guess what? No good parent would ever let his child have a poverty spirit. Amen? I mean, put your hands together for that and give God the glory. That's really what it's all about. Amen? Make a faith declaration. He said, I don't have that. I don't have that. Look what he says here in Acts chapter 3, verses 6 and 7. Peter said, silver and gold, I do not have what I do have. I give to you in the name of Jesus of Nazareth. Rise up and walk. That's pretty bold. Let me show you the modern uh, definition of that, how that works in today. Hey, I'm going to go, I'm going to pray for you. I'm going to pray your buddies keep bringing you to the beautiful gate. He already had that. He needed to walk. He needed to walk. He took him by the right hand. He lifted him up and immediately his feet and his ankle bones received strength. You don't know Peter and John's faith? He grabbed him by the hand and said, it's time to stand up. That's their faith. His faith was trying to stand up. And it says when those two touch points came together, guess what? He was strengthened. He walked. You see how interesting that is? See, faith isn't seeing it afterwards and go, man, now I believe. No, faith is seeing it before it happens and bringing it into the realm of reality. All right, now, I, I want to give you some things here. I want you to write some of these down because some of these are going to be really useful to you. Now, you're all looking at me like, yeah, right. I'm telling you, write some of these down because they're going to be powerful for you. Here's the first one. 
The fear of man hinders the operation of faith. The fear of man hinders the operation of faith. In Ezekiel chapter 2 and verse 3, you know what God told Ezekiel? Don't fear their faces. I thought, what an unusual comment. You're going to go out and you're going to do the work of a prophet, but don't fear their faces. Have you ever walked in a room and someone's not smiling? How did it make you feel? Unwelcomed. You ever walked in a room and someone was angry and you, you had a feeling of fear? I began to think about this idea of fearing the faces of people. You see, if I let someone's face guide me, then I'm going to lose faith. But if I look into the face of Jesus, what I do is I increase in faith. Don't let people's faces. You see, there's something about the face. You know the word face is literally the word presence. Whenever you see the face of God, it means the presence of God. Do you know what your face is? It's your presence. On Sunday morning, I can look in people's face and I can tell their presence. I can tell if they've been with God, they're looking for God, they're here out of obligation. I can tell everything about them, and you can too. Because your faith, face represents your presence. What presence are you carrying? Are you carrying the presence of doubt, of fear? Are you carrying the presence of power and of grace and of authority, of glory? What are you carrying with you? See, we are to host the presence of God. That's what we are. We're the temple of the living God. We host the presence of God everywhere we go. Unbelief, unbelief, watch this, is, is faith in something inferior. When I put my faith in anything but God, I put my faith in something that is inferior. And what that means is I'm going to draw comfort from the wrong thing. You see, we get comfortable with unbelief. That's why we call our friends and we say this, I don't know what I'm going to do. That is the greatest declaration of, of doubt I've ever heard in my life. I don't know what I'm going to do. What made you think you had to do anything? What made you think you were capable of anything? What made you think you could operate in the realm of changing anything? I don't know what I'm going to do. You should strike that from your vocabulary. It is Satan's tool to bring you to doubt. Now watch this. You have to be willing to live with mystery. If you're going to walk by faith, you have to accept mystery as being okay. I don't know where this is going. I don't know what's going to happen, but I'm going to live in the realm of mystery. I'm going to be okay with mystery because mystery is as powerful as revelation. Because mystery puts you in the unknown, the faith world, revelation speaks from the unknown into the realm of mystery. So I have to be willing to live with mystery. I have to be okay with it. Faith, now think about faith. Circumstances will always contradict your understanding of faith. Now listen to this. This is, this is good. If you get this, if you really get this, it's going to be powerful for you. Your circumstances in life will always challenge your understanding of faith because your circumstances will always tell you it's not going to work. 
It's not going to happen. So what God does is he reduces you to strength. Did you get that? God doesn't strengthen you. He reduces you to strength. He takes out of you that which is not going to work in the realm of faith so that you can operate in the realm of faith. So he takes apart your whole understanding of how things work. Right now, there are some things that are working well in your life and some things that are not, and I promise you the things that are not, you haven't figured out how to apply the understanding of faith to, and you can't believe, live in the mystery of it. Just be okay with the mystery. God, I don't know what you're doing, but I believe you. I trust you in this one. Okay, let's keep going. You become the message. You don't have the message. See, my message is not that I tell you the words that anybody could tell you. The message is me living faith. I am the message. When that message of faith becomes such a part of me, I don't have to tell you as much because you know what's happening in my life, and I am the message of faith to you. And you are the message of faith to someone else. You don't have to say, so-and-so, it happened to so-and-so. You say, no, every day of my life, I live out the message of faith. I am. Let me show you what God's doing. What God is doing is evidence of faith. Faith occurs when you come into agreement with God. You say, God, I agree. I agree with you, God. That's faith. They used to put it like this, God said it, and I believe it, and that settles it. It's really simple, right? Hey, God said it. I just believe it. I can't explain it maybe, but that settles it. Let me quote Bill Johnson to you. To honor him fully, that is God, we have to live in such a way that unless God shows up, what we are attempting to do is bound to fail. This kind of abandonment was the nature of Jesus' life on earth and is now the nature of the believing believer. You see, you can be a doubting believer. You say, I believe in Jesus, but every part of your life demonstrates doubt in what God's doing. Is there somebody that you're praying for right now and you think it's a big one and it'll probably never happen? People say, you know, I know this is probably never, this is how people literally come to me. They'll come to me and they'll say, I know this is probably never going to happen, but would you pray? And I, and I kind of have to stop and think about that a minute. I think, well, why would I want to pray for that? It's never going to happen. You know, my batting average is going to go down. I want to get my batting average up. I want to be batting, you know, 600, 900, 1,000, right? I don't want to be batting 100. And sometimes I'll say that to people. I'll say, well, this is really big and it's not going to happen. And I say, well, then could I just be excused from that prayer time? Because I don't want to be a part of that one. If you come to me and say, this is going to demand your faith in a really higher level, I want to be a part of that. You see, the language of faith has to be spoken right in order to, in, in order to get God involved in your miracle. So you have to let everyone know what God is doing. I like to tell what God is doing. I like to just tell it all the time. I like to repeat the stories over and over again that you've heard four times. You know why? Because you forgot some of it. Right? I mean, isn't that the, the, the wisdom of commercials? You know, I've seen this commercial 40 times. I mean, this gal gets on there, 
aggravates me. She gets on there. She's Ancestry.com. Tammy says, you say the same thing every time. I know. She gets up there. She says, I don't know what my, ne- my heritage is. I said, I know what it is because you've told me 40 times what it is. Right? I know the commercial. I know what the woman looks like. I know exactly what she says every single time. I could do the commercial. I want you to be able to do the commercial of faith. I want you to hear it so many times. You hear the miracle over and over again. You hear the same miracles over and over again. And then we add new ones in and you begin to see what God is doing over and over again because you become the message of God. Let everyone know what God is doing. Now look at Acts chapter 3 verses 8 and 10. So he, now remember, the last we left the scene, he was reaching down, he was picking him, he was going to stand up. Look what it says. So he, leaping up, this guy didn't get up slow. He didn't get like this. Seems to be a little better. Yeah, I think if we put an ace bandage on that one, I think it'll be okay. Look what it says. Leaping up, he stood up, he walked, he entered the temple, and then, now look what happens. He's walking, he's leaping, he's praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. You see, let everyone know what God is doing in your life. Walking, leaping, praising God. Then they knew that he was the one who sat begging alms at the beautiful gate of the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement what happened to him. That's your job. To walk, to leap, and to praise so that people know what God is up to in your life. Can you imagine trying to convince somebody to believe in God? How's it going? Oh, okay. Life's really bad, man. The world's going to hell. You know, I just, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm sure God's out there somewhere, but I don't know what he's up to. I think maybe he's just kind of mad. Does that make me want to come into the kingdom of God? Ask yourself, take your speech you're giving and ask yourself, if someone else heard your speech, would that make them want to be a believer? How about your faith? If you, took, if, if you said, hey, you can have my faith, would anybody want it? Well, I've never had an answer to prayer, but I, I really think you ought to trust God. I mean, seriously, just think about what goes out of your mouth because what goes out of your mouth is prophetic, What you expect, you will see. If you expect God to do nothing or miracles to be your rare occurrence in the kingdom, they will be. They will be for you. They were filled with wonder. Look at the people. They saw this guy walking, leaping, praise God. They were filled with wonder and amazement at what had happened. You see, watch what happens here. When you sit at the gate, you never enter into the presence He sat at the gate his whole life and never entered into the presence of God. When you sit at the gate, the gate, even though it's beautiful, becomes a barrier to God. See, he was in the best earthly place he could be, but he missed out on the spiritual and the divine because he was content to be at the beautiful gate. You see, the gate was always designed to enter, never to be begged God never designed gates to be, you sit by them and beg at them. He designed them to enter in. You enter into the kingdom. Psalm 16 and verse 8 says, I have set the Lord continually before me. Because he is my right hand, I will not be shaken. You know what you do in faith? I'm going to set God before me. I'm not going to set my problem in front of me. I'm going to set God in front of me. 
And watch what happened. He, he experienced three different kind of healings. Let me show you this. First kind of healing was physical, physical healing. He says he walked. The second was emotional, okay? He leaped. There was joy in him. And the third was spiritual. He was praising God. He wasn't doing any of those things before Peter and John showed up. He was, he was suffering physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And some people will find that they suffer one or all of those at the same time. Do you know the diseases of the mind eventually become the diseases of the body and the soul? As a man thinks in his heart, so is he. I've known people that I honestly believe like to be sick. I know it sounds crazy, but when you've been in ministry as long as I've been in ministry, you hear it so much. And I almost, you know, I have said it. I don't have a good filter sometimes. They'll say to me and they'll tell me, I said, you know, it seems like you're always sick. Do you want to be? I mean, do you like the attention that comes from being sick? Now, and I know that sounds crazy and totally unpastoral, right? It does, I know. But remember, you only hear one person telling you that, and I hear hundreds telling me that. And I do it over a multiple number of years. And I hear and I go, wow, you must like being sick. I don't want to catch what you have in my mind that then becomes in my soul and then becomes in my body. You see, because doubt is more contagious than any other disease on planet Earth. We should wear a mask and not let doubt in. Let me give you a couple of life applications. Here's the first one. If you speak words of faith, you will move the heart of God. If you speak words of doubt, you'll move your heart away from God. You have to ask yourself, do I want to move God or do I want to move myself away from God? You see, God, because he created you in his image, he gave you opportunity and gave you choice. You get to choose. And here's the other thing I found. You have to start now. You can't say, you know, I think I'm going to do that one day. I think I'll do that when I get home. No. You see, faith starts now. You never delay what God wants to do now. Right now you have, you have some of you have a, you've been inspired a bit by the Spirit. The Spirit has kind of touched your heart in some way, and you say, you know what, I need to trust God for that. Let me ask you something. Why would you wait to trust God? Why would you think about it? Why would you go home and contemplate it? Why wouldn't you just trust God and say, God, you're going to do this today for me right now? Never delay what God wants to do now. I told you uh, last couple of weeks, I said, you know, Tammy and I last uh, fall, I think it was, we just made a decision that we were going to be like crazy generous in our giving. And uh, that, that's not easy. Can I just say that's not easy? Okay? It's not easy. Because reason always enters in. And I was going to bed last night, and, and God just told me to write a check for a certain amount of money for the church today. And and I said, well, God, that's unreasonable. I really, I told God that. I said, that's unreasonable. I said, I said, God, I better go check my bank account first 
right? And guys, you don't need to check it. It's fine. Don't worry about it. Just write the check. I went to bed without writing the check. I'm telling you this because I want you to know it's hard, that I'm human, that I, I don't just walk in faith all day long and I'm just walking around in some spiritual euphoria like, oh, he's so cool. No, I'm like, I'm fighting God like you are. I'm wrestling with the spirit and the flesh just like you are. So I got up this morning, I was going to write the check, and I thought, you know, maybe God will tell me, give me a different message, but I'll put the checkbook in my briefcase when I come today. But I'm not writing it. Have you ever done this? I mean, I'm going to give God every chance he can to get out of this. And then during worship, I reached in and I got my checkbook out and I wrote the check. And I said, God, this is not reasonable, but I'm doing this. And I wrote at the bottom in the memo part five times. Five times. I said, God, I'm, cher- I'm, ch- I'm trusting you that you will multiply this gift that was out of the ordinary five times. That's my faith. That's my faith. Amen? Now, that doesn't mean doubt doesn't enter in because we're still human. There's always a part of me that's pulling, pulling. You know, what if he only does four times? I mean, literally, these are the voices I hear. I don't know what you hear. You know, he doesn't tell me I'm not going to, I already know the promise. He's going to multiply everything I give. But I've asked him for five times that. Because it was out of the ordinary of what I wanted to see God do. I want you to know, whatever you're trusting God to, for, put a zero or put an, uh, a multiplier number next to it, whether it's one time or five times or 100. Just say, God, I'm going for it because I want to walk in the realm of faith. I don't want to walk in the realm of sight. I know what that's like, and that's not much fun. Because I'm always worrying about stuff. I don't want to worry, have no anxiety about anything, the Bible says, but by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto God, and the peace of God, which surpasses all comprehension, will guard your heart and your mind in Christ Jesus. If I have anxiety, I have no guards. I have no protection. I have no peace. I'm on my own. I don't want to be on my own. Stand with me. Let's bow our heads together. I'm going to ask you to right now think about in your heart, what is it you're asking God for? What is it you want to see God do? What is the one thing you want to see God do? Just ask the Spirit for revelation, not reason, revelation. What do you want to see God do right now? Whatever God showed you, got it in your heart right now? It could be saving someone. It could be restoring something. It could be a job. It could be health. It could be anything. I want you to take that thing right now and just say, God, I want you to do that. And if you've got more faith, just say, God, I want you to do that twofold or tenfold or a hundredfold or whatever fold you want to do. But I want you to give that to God. I'm going to ask you right now just to, to take that. And I'm going to ask you to come here to the front of this altar this morning. I'm going to say, and your coming is your faith. It's like the guy who reached down and his ankles were strengthened when he stood up. When he stood up. I want this to be your when you stand up. This is your verb. This is your action. This is what God's doing. God, you want to see God do something, then God says, are you going to stand up? What's your touch point of faith? Coming to this altar is your touch point of faith today. 
You're going to say, I'm going to do it, God. I don't even know. I don't know how you're going to pull this one off. You don't have to know how. Just squeeze in here in the middle, would you guys? We got need more room. But you don't have to know the how. You don't even have to figure out the how. You don't even have to ask about the how. God, the how is in your business. It's in your world. Okay, right now you've got it. I want you just to, I want you to set your eyes right now. I'm going to get, show you a process here, how this works. I want you to set your eyes right now on the Lord, not on the problem. I want you just to look at Jesus high and lifted up, seated upon his throne. The train of his robe is filling the temple. Just imagine this with me now. Remember, we're not worried about what you're trusting God for. We're looking to the Lord. Set your heart on God right now. You're focused on God and God alone. The seraphim are flying. They're crying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. Just be caught up. Just be caught up in that moment right now. You set your eyes on God, not on your problem. You see, faith is about falling in love with Jesus. It's about being consumed with who he is, not what your issues are. Once you learn this process, you can do this, you can repeat this over and over again in your life. Okay, you've got your eyes on the Lord Jesus. I set my mind on you, Jesus, right now. And just keep your eyes focused on him. Just kind of get a mental picture of him if you need to. Just visualize him in your mind if you need to. You're focused on the Lord. Now he's, now he's going to speak to you. He speaks in a still, small voice. And you're, you, he knows why you've come. You've come before him. You've come into his presence. All you can see is him. You don't see the face of those who are going to bring fear. You don't see your own face of doubt. You only see him. You already know he's capable. He's all-powerful. And now you're going to just listen to him. What you've brought, you've brought to him, and you put it before him. And you're going to hear him say something to you in your spirit, man. In your spirit, man, he might be saying something like this. Just leave it here. I'll take care of it. I've got it. All you have to do is trust me. 